We're going to give it another go. It's a bit more, a bit more zing, a bit of zing, zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello, hello. With a hello, no, no, hello. Wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Wait till. Hello, with a billowing hilltop. Hello, hello. Oh dear, waiting to get through the whole thing. No, no, I mean... I thought I that was the, the whole thing. The whole thing is hello <laughs> with a balloon hilltop. Okay. That's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay. okay, that was right. Uh, that pretty much sums up the show. But if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.belowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? <laughs> .org. Is it? It's .com. What do we do? What do we, what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. I don't know. Yeah. And we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon. Is it fifth edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We what play Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. I what was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we play Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, The Age of Worms. You can expect this. No! Quite a bit of this. Um, I'm. Completely lost. This. Blah. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Hey, uh, oh dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much. You're listening to the Ironbound Chest. Our topic for discussion this month is fairness. And today, I'm sitting down with Amelia of Guildfellows. Let's add some wealth to the chest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for opening the Ironbound Chest. My name is Austin Moraga, and today I am joined by Amelia, who plays Kitsa on Guildfellows. Hello, Hello, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, well, good. I'm really excited, too. As we were talking about a little bit before recording, today at work, I've been doing nothing but just binging your podcast, and I love every second of it. Also, what we were mentioning before recording is that, like, I want to... The listeners to know just like i feel like you guys are like a wonderful group just all in all you guys Aww. i've said this before but like you guys really vibe off each other really well you have really like humorous connections even though you were saying that you don't have a huge history with, with each other you guys make it seem like for me a listener of like oh they've you they've been playing for years or they've known <laughs> each other as close friends forever so I, I love that. The power of acting. <laughs> right. We act like we like each other. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love that there's a, a, a good amount of ribbing each other too in your podcast. I, I enjoy that a lot. I feel like any good friendship, you have to have a healthy amount of ribbing to keep everyone humble. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had a friend growing up, me and my, my group of friends growing up. His name was Wade. And if Wade, you ever listened to this, <laughs> sorry if the ribbing ever got too much, but just know deep in our hearts, we loved you dearly. You're a Aww. great guy. So speaking of that, speaking of ribbing in, in that general area, this month's topic is all about fairness, which in these kind of terms, I want us to talk about and have a discussion on, you know, proper fairness to players at the table without favoritism or discrimination 
while still creating a challenging and just an overall fun game. But before we get all into that, I would love to know just how are you doing? How has your week been? I feel like I'm doing okay. I feel like in these unprecedented COVID-19 times, you know, yes, uh, <laughs> self-care is like more of a Sisyphean battle, you know? Just oh, rolling that boulder up the bridge. Poetic. Yeah, right. okay. Get all poetic on me now. <laughs> but I think this week has been good. I've been making TikToks and they've been nice. doing some of them I've been doing pretty well, so I'm pretty happy about that. That's, that's like cool. That is my my light at the end of the tunnel. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So when did you guys start your podcast? Around like twenty nineteen, right? Yes. Is that last? Yes. Last year was 2019. We started. (laughs) Seems seems like it's longer, right? Yeah. I I saw this. There's a different podcast I listened to that's on the Magnus Archive. It's like on hiatus for six weeks. And I was like, that doesn't even matter. Six weeks is just like next tomorrow. Like there's no time. It's like it's 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 now it is later. Who knows? Um, I believe we started in March of 2019. Nice. Yeah. Right on. That's my birthday month. So. Oh, yeah. Happy late birthday and happy future birthday. (laughs) <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Okay. Yeah, these these times we're living in is is very much a struggle. Just like, oh, we're up, we're up this week, and then, oh, okay, what what bad thing is happening on Sunday? Yeah. And <laughs> and it's just like, okay, then I want to talk about some things about your podcast before we get into these questions. Though you guys started a new season in June, correct? Yes. Yeah. Is is this your? Th- third season i think so it is our second season second and season. for season two we were trying to branch out a bit so instead of playing dungeons and dragons we are playing a different not operating system um different rpg called seventh c we chose that because as much as we all i feel like everyone who's listening to this podcast loves D in some level regardless <laughs> of i mean there's a lot of fair criticisms for different things but oh, um, yeah. it is very story-based So instead of having all of the mechanics come down to dice rolls and modifiers, it's Mm -hmm. based on raises where you roll several D10s, you get different numbers of dice depending on your proficiencies and different skills. And then instead of hitting a DC, you just like the DM will say, okay, if you can get one raise, which is like a group of 10, you fail at the task. If you get two raises, you succeed barely. If you get three raises, um, you succeed well. And so it's much more conducive to long form storytelling. Whereas like in D&D and you're, when you're in a battle, like a time of 60 seconds of a battle can take like two hours <laughs> to play through. Oh my God, I know. Which is fun, but uh, for a podcast, it can kind of slow things down a bit. And yeah. I'm also a very rules lawyery person, which uh, okay. not everyone is, and I feel like having a game that is a lot more fluid allows that part of my brain to relax. You know, where I'm oh. like, well, technically speaking, you can't do this and this, and then it's like this is a podcast <laughs> we're literally playing a make believe game. Like, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, and that's kind of what it's all there. For you guys are trying to do there: have fun, you know, tell a tell a good story that people want to listen to, as well as you know, hear antics, you know, dice rolling antics and of all course. these other cool things. So, I had a question that I want to ask in relation to you know, seventh, how 7C compares to D&D in terms of, of fairness. But before all that, okay, I need to ask you my golden question. And that golden question is, what do you treasure most about D&D or tabletop role-playing games? I'm going to give a kind of basic answer, 
but I really love the storytelling aspect of it. Um, yeah. I started playing D and D. I started my first campaign. I think it was 2017. It was back when I was in college still. Uh, with a group of people. I only kind of knew a few people in there. And like some of those story moments, I think of them in the same way as I think of my favorite scenes from movies. Yeah. Uh, where there's just such amazing things that can happen. And it's so great to have these sorts of memories that are also tied to actual people and actual friends you know in real life. Um, I love that, especially like now, oddly enough, my Dungeons and Dragons has gone up from quarantine because so many people are working from home and so many oh, people yeah. are social distancing that everyone <laughs> is all like, no one has plans. So I've played D&D like several nights a week over Discord with like different groups, uh, which lucky. is like the dream. I know I'm very fortunate because people are like, how do you find D&D games? And I was like, you just find people who are bored. <laughs> <laughs> and then you trick them into playing D and D, and then they get hooked. Yeah, there you go. You know, first time's always free. But um, yep. yeah, I think I really love those kinds of connections. And um, I didn't even know that D and D podcasts existed when I started playing. Like I listened to Critical Role, uh, but when I was doing Guild Fellows, it never occurred to me that that was a medium that people listen to <laughs> other people play D and D. Like oh, I yeah. didn't start listening to Critical Role until I'd already been playing for like a year and a half because people were like, "Oh, if you like this, like Amelia, you'll like this show." And there's, <laughs> it's just such a unique way of storytelling because it adds that like real life element of you could make all the right choices, but there's still some mm -hmm. element of fate that influences how you play. And in oh, some yeah. ways that makes things more meaningful. Like the, it is such a great way to just compartmentalize your real world emotions and deal with it in character. You know, like Absolutely. people always joke about how like D and D is free therapy. <laughs> and oh, God, yeah. I was like, when uh, my first character like permanently died, I was sad and I was like tearing up a little bit, but then I had to go to physics lab and I was like, I can't even tell anyone because people who don't play D and D will be like this fake person who isn't real pretend died in an imaginary game. But <laughs> um, I love that. But that's just what I love about it. I do like the rules. I like the logic. I love reading up on lore and figuring out fun ways to kind of get around things or do something. Oh, yeah. I don't know, like amazing. I'll call it amazing. It is in amazing. gameplay. It's yeah, just yeah. so absurd. Absolutely. And I think D&D, &D, especially nowadays with the way that they kind of give you this, you know, they give you the rules, but they say like, you don't have to stick to them. Have fun. Obviously the rule of fun. It's like they're asking most everyone to be like, have some goofy shit, man. Yeah. Like, do don't take it too cool seriously. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are plenty of great examples of taking it seriously and how that can be equally rewarding. I like what you're talking about, you know, free therapy. And I've said this many times over my episodes, and I will probably continue to say it many times, but D&D &D is absolutely, and other TTRPGs, I'll put that out there. But since D&D &D is as popular as it is, it is definitely an outlet for people to work through things, whether that's emotionally, mentally, things like that, you know, what I've said before, but it's just very rewarding to people and that's the thing i think i love about it most is beyond the the enjoyment of drooling dice and having laughs with your friends is i think i love that DD is free therapy and with the people around you at the table it just makes it even better to have those people around you to you know 
comfort you, be there for you, support you, all these kinds of great things. So I, I think it's I think it's amazing. But yes, storytelling is amazing. And it seems like what you were saying with 7C, you're really achieving that. Yeah. And that's why I love D&D and it will always have a special place in my heart. But I always want people to explore other RPGs because if you're just playing Dungeons and Dragons, the way the mechanics are set up, you can play, you can make it whatever you want. You know, the whole like there are no rules what you need. But if once you start playing other TTRPGs, you can see how the mechanics of a game system affects your role play and affects how you go into the game, the kinds of characters you play. And that's like, it's just fun. It's just, there's no downsides. Yeah. That's, and that's beautiful about these types of games is that they're, they are so varied, but they are all co- very much connected in what they are trying to achieve, you know? Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. Well, my question about going into starting these questions, my question about 7C and D&D, um, in your experience with the 7C system, do you find it is comparable to D&D in representing a fair game, including things like what might be a hot topic these days, but, you know, fair representation of people both that are fantasy based and reality based? Let's see. So I'm just going to riff off 7C and D&D as far as let's talk about fairness and what they're emphasizing. So yeah, um, Dungeons and Dragons is also a far more complete game you can't see the air quotes but (laughs) (laughs) the this idea that there are so many modules and so many worlds and so many fan contributions that we have this idea that places where people feel that wizards of the coast has failed in some ways you can use fan content to make that up so I think one of my sort of issues I guess with 7c is and the creators are pretty upfront about it it is very much fantasy Europe. Like there is fantasy England, fantasy Ireland, fantasy France, fantasy Italy. Like it is <laughs> a very clear corollary. The fantasy France place, they have a sun king, they have an aristocracy. It is very much ripped off, which isn't inherently bad drawing things from real wo- world sources, but the writers essentially said, we're just not as familiar with other histories, so we're not going to really deal with those which is like problematic and i mean at least they were honest about it they're not trying to say they're not trying to present this work of something that it's not but at some point i feel like there are different levels of inclusivity and different levels of immersion that Mm -hmm. you get with tftrpgs that i think you're always losing something when you don't go those extra steps and There's a difference between small individual indie game companies not going those extra steps and, you know, larger organizations like Mm -hmm. Wizards of the Coast, like not taking that extra mileage, which isn't fair on either account because there are people who just decide to sit down and write a game and write a world who are indie developers who go through the effort of getting like sensitivity readers and these sorts of things who are working Mm -hmm. to challenge a lot of those notions that we kind of accept as fact that we just tend to include in our fantasy world because they're reflections of the real world without challenging the notion of what do these reflections represent? How did they get there? And so from that perspective, I think, I mean, it's hard It's hard to compare those two just because 7C is so directly saying we are drawing this from real life, whereas Dungeons and Dragons is definitely cobbling things together from different bits and pieces. And you have entire fantasy realms that aren't supposed to like represent Europe, but you have 
things like places like Barovia, which are very like Slavic, you know, in yeah. tone. And yeah. uh, we don't need to go over like the problems with like the Vistani characterization. I think those are pretty self-explanatory <laughs> if you've like looked into oh, that yeah. at all. I think one thing that I do like about Seventh Sea is that once you make a character, there are certain backgrounds that are tied to geographic locations and culture, and then certain backgrounds that are just anyone can have and those affect your abilities now there aren't non-human races in 7c like there are in dungeons and dragons so they avoid that sort of connotation that different races inherently have different abilities or different temperaments or different societies and i feel like that is one of my core problems with the way dungeon i feel like i don't know if i should be like Uh, who cares sorry Uh, (laughs) i was like well no i'm just gonna say you know i'm just gonna say what i feel i feel like that's one of the core issues with dungeons and dragons is it takes these things that are rooted in real world prejudice and codifies Mm -hmm. them in the game and both 7c and dungeons and dragons are codifying things in their world building it's just not a one-to-one ratio of similar things if that makes sense yeah no 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 it 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 definitely makes Tons of sense. That's pretty much one of the biggest issues right now. I mean, among a bunch of other stuff, but be I've I've seen a lot of things recently where, and by recently, this this will be coming out in October, and we're recording now in August second. But but you know, within the time frame, and I'm sure it's still going to be relevant though. It's been an issue where in real world, you know, there's a bunch of heated racial topics that people people do take into two games. I mean, you can have similar experiences in a fantasy game as you can in a, in real life, I feel like, certain ones. But yeah, how D&D says like, oh, all drow are evil or all half-orcs are dumb brutes or, or right. bullshit like that. It's definitely not fair and it's, and it's not taking into a direct you know link what what you you mentioned how 7c kind of does things with culture i really like that and i i haven't heard a lot of ttrpgs in my you know relatively limited experience really dive into that and that's something i would love to see D maybe start to go in the direction of of doing more of like societal cultures in certain areas maybe where maybe these quote evil races are they're not all evil because that's just a horrible way of thinking about things uh just as horrible as it is to think in the real world and and that's something i think that needs to be rectified yeah and also thinking from the level of nuance and coming from it with the perspective that the more effort and hours you put into making a game and the more effort you put towards different topics, the more mm-hmm. rewards you'll receive later. Um, yeah. And when we're talking about nuanced depictions of race, because I know a lot of people are like, this is a fantasy game. It doesn't matter. I think we need to come f- at it from the perspective. When you look at what the races that are depicted as evil or that are predicted as dumb brutes and the societies that we kind of build around them, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, it'll say like elves, they live in the forest, you have high elves, you have wood elves, orcs, they have these tribal connotations and this idea of 
these races that share things with actual people groups, right? That have yeah. these connotations that are associated with evil. Like the idea that the dark elves are the bad ones is maybe like the most basic thing to take from the problematic Absolutely. issue with drow. <laughs> like there's so much more nuance, but like, let's just start there. Let's start with that one. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I think it also just shows a fundamental misunderstanding of the nuances of how these societies operate and how they thrive. Like it correlates civilization with, European development. It correlates a lot of the human attributes with a lot of humans like that are colonized. Like that sort of attitude that humans are generally bad and looked down upon by all of these other things, uh, all these mm -hmm. other races and these societies that they're always messing with things because that's like in our nature and it doesn't necessarily allow the conversation of what do different societies look like when they don't have the pressures that we have in our world like what do tribal societies yeah. look like when they don't aren't faced with colonization when they aren't faced with like deforestation when you know mm -hmm. the land is managed by people who are taking care of it and yeah. this idea that the progress of society isn't always marching toward ruin which we kind of have this very industrial revolution vibe where as society has quote quote progressed we are taking more from the land, people are being greedy. And a lot mm -hmm. of things that we take as these assumptions that I think it's just not quite there. Like there's so much uh, more that we can learn from actually studying anthropology. And not that if you wanna make a TTRPG, you need to study anthropology. <laughs> but what does it say when you look at an entire society and call it evil? Like to me, that's just not how anything works in real life there's no even mm -hmm. nowadays you can't look at any country and say that is a bad country everyone there is bad there's so much yeah. nuance that makes for such better storytelling it's like what mm -hmm. are the pressures that force people to make bad decisions and this is also how i feel about like the alignment system where in the games that i play and again this is something that it doesn't matter what your opinion is on it as long as your table comes to a consensus about how these things work um, mm -hmm. Speaking about fairness, like some people consider alignment to be all of my character choices are going to be if I'm lawful good, that means I only do good things. If I'm chaotic evil, that means I'm going to burn down an orphanage because I feel like it. <laughs> but talking about how you make decisions and what it means to be evil, is that just being selfish? Um, do people have the capacity to change? And the idea that um, your background and your racial makeup affect you inherently as a person just mm -hmm. when you're rolling a character just seems so much less interesting to me than yeah. you could have a character who grew up in a certain society and maybe you know was trained a certain way and then they left or you have and got different skills like i play when one of my home campaigns i have a half-orc fighter who has the highest intelligence of anyone in the party oh nice because like that that's this fun story for me like that's why i did kitsa in guildfellows with being the teeth the stereotypical tiefling warlock who is yeah. the exact opposite of what you would expect because that's a more interesting story she's such a sweetheart My she God. is the most wholesome character i have ever played <laughs> she's just a little darling and i love it yeah i don't even remember what the question is i just kind of go off on these tangents then i go off on more tangents um as a person but I think that there is room for more interesting stories when we allow mm -hmm. people to be flawed instead of just being evil or good. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you just look at plenty of historical examples of different cultures, say like the, the Native Americans 
or well okay we'll just use those for for right now because they're a you know great example of how a beautiful like a just a fascinating culture and society was horribly victimized and trod upon and one of the main reasons was it it was because you know the settlers you know wanted land they they thought that they were savages because they weren't up to what their norms were you know the the colonists weren't what their norms were and it kind of deals with like dealing with absolutes and that can tie into D&D as well but like you know people thought that you know Native Americans were just always savages and they were to be feared and you know they were hunted down and all these terrible things that you could go on to for hours about talking yeah And 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 it's just terrible because that's not who they were and it was it was reactions to what the the white man was doing to them that caused a lot of that misconception and to this day can you continue to be absolutely unfair and terrible yeah and I'm wondering about, because the first thing uh, my mind goes to is this concept of manifest destiny. And I grew up going to very conservative Christian schools. So my education is definitely a lot more like geared in that aspect of this idea of like God ordaining people. Like we had this right to go, you know, mm-hmm. to the West to explore these like quote unquote untamed lands that were fully supporting entire people groups and entire like nation states and tribes and such and what it means to decolonize your rpgs which sounds i think a lot of people hear phrases like that or hear people talking about race and think okay you're trying to be far too academic but Native Americans still exist today all of these sovereign nations like they still exist they are still functioning and we are still actively beating down their culture they are disproportionately facing like the coronavirus epidemic like native women are one of the most vulnerable populations like more native women go missing in proportion to their population than i think any other minority and Mm -hmm. still fighting back for their land years and years and so when we say things like we need to challenge these ideas about what we inherently have a right to do because the way we write these stories and i'm not saying we can't have our hero's journey you know different campaigns have different things and you know there's a big story of like these people come out of nowhere and they save the day and that's not inherently a problem it's when we're using our stories to continually have a certain person be the good guy and a certain person be the bad guy first Mm -hmm. of all we're not challenging those in the real life but we're also re-cementing that idea that kind of goes unconscious sitting in the back of our minds that there are certain people who can be saved. There are certain people who need saving from themselves. And yeah. again, none of these are bad things. Cause like that's, I mean, I play D and D where you have, you know, your party goes from being level one murder hobos to like level 20. We're basically <laughs> gods, you know, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but uh, in the stories that we tell, we are slowly reinforcing these ideas and these connotations and those come off in subconscious that affect how we interact with people in the real world. Because like, it's like when you consume movies and you see people depicted a certain way in a movie, if you don't Mm -hmm. regularly have interactions with people like that, that's all you assume. And I'm not saying that like, if you have dumb half works, that means your mind is going to be subconsciously racist, but there are all of these tiny little parts that lead up to these big societal structures that we're dealing with. And mm-hmm. you can't just flip a switch and end racism, but 
you can yeah. attack these small little portions and make your game more inclusive. And when people say they want more women to be in TTRPGs or more women at the table, more people of color at the table, it's like, okay, if you're playing in a way that women and people of color and where those intersect do not feel comfortable at your table, you do have to change the way you play if you want them there. Like it's not oh, on God, yeah. them to be like, ah, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be the only girl at an all guy table where I feel uncomfortable because of, and I have been, I've not been uncomfortable because I, I luckily only had good groups, but like if I'm the only girl at an all guy table, I don't want to feel uncomfortable as the human behind the character. Yeah, I get that. It definitely goes into what, what you were talking about things of like, you know, breaking expectations of stereotypes because and I've, I've talked about this before with some other people of i think particularly females represented in things like video games movies and and you could even go so far in, into music even oh yeah and one of the things we were talking about was one of the first times that women were really represented as people of power in a vast type of media were were like in comic books especially like with you know female heroines and superheroes and whatnot and and how they're you know all these were written by men and the the female characters were just like overly sexualized even to this day you have overly sexualized characters not just in comics in in everything that's just as terrible as a racial stereotype or racial expectations and it's not fair to say like one needs to happen before the other because you know they all need to happen a week ago or if not a week ago you know fucking a hundred years ago however long it's been but but definitely starting somewhere to not have all these images or descriptions of people be the forefront in what you see instead of like talking to someone you know you can go and talk to someone who is of another gender who is another of another race and get an idea or you know just really get to know them as not a gender as not a color as not this or that as just a person and i think those that can really help to start you know breaking these barriers and breaking down these walls of expectations and stereotypes that can then lead into larger things such as breaking down barriers of like uh what we were talking about like with culture and and their societies and whatnot so it's yeah. a, it's a huge topic and it, it is very deep and i love that we've been talking about it for 30 minutes yeah and that also reminds me of something else if we can talk about it just a little longer <laughs> Yeah, yeah, please, okay. please, please do. No, especially with everything that's been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement um, and VA. And I know VA and podcasting overlap so much, obviously. Voice actors in different roles they're cast for and casting people of color and the roles of people of color. And mm-hmm. one thing that I think is really important to me, because as much as I love seeing representation, and you were talking about this, how you have like these female comic book characters that are still written by men. And sometimes yeah. I would watch shows or media and think like, I really want to like the girl character because there's like only one or two. But yep. I, and I was like, why don't I like this character? I'm like, oh, that's because she wasn't written well, because she was written by someone who doesn't see women as three dimensional like human beings. Yep. Um, But the same comes when you overlie this with race, where it's like as much as I do want to see people of color voicing people of color and getting fair treatment in the voice acting and podcast industry, it is also important that you have people of color behind writing those stories because I don't want Mm. to listen to a racist 
representation of something coming out of a person's color a person of color's mouth yeah (laughs) yeah like having the actuality and the the true representation of those characters by people that are those people is is absolutely important and i've and i had seen a few of those within the past month or so here and there of of certain voice actors saying like i will no longer be playing this role or i will no longer be voice acting this character because they felt as though it was you know extremely unfair them as a person of a different color of a different race of a different this or that that they were portraying those people who should be portrayed by you know what we just said exactly those people and the proper representation of those people is a necessity in getting realism and believability deeply into those characters i think that is again absolutely important yeah and this idea that Descriptive representation is important in media because you always hear people talking about, I want to be the change for the little, like the child me who didn't get to see that growing up. And I want to be Mm -hmm. that person for them. And it's like, okay. And a lot of that means that we need to create an industry that will welcome those people in. So that way, when a young like black girl or, you know, sees and hears that voice and they say, I want to do that with my life, that there's space for them. And when you have representation that is just face value it's just an animator who made someone's skin a little bit darker without anything (laughs) behind that you don't have the access and you're not doing as much as you should be to promote actual people of color like real human beings who deserve to have a space that in the world and in in that industry Mm -hmm. that that reminds me what you were just talking there reminds me something else i had seen that i felt was a really good topic was, or maybe not was a topic, but just something that someone put out there that I thought was really, really poignant was that they were an artist. This post and post, this person posting this was an artist and they were showing, I believe it was on Twitter. They were posting pictures and they were, and they had a big thread of like for artists who don't know how to correctly depict people of color. And they had examples of, I don't think they named any names, obviously, but they were showing examples of white artists or maybe just, you know, some other artists that weren't very comfortable with, you know, drawing people of color. They're early examples of just drawing a regular person. And in their mind, a regular person is a white guy or a white girl. And all that they were doing was then just, let's be honest, that does set people apart. And unfortunately, yeah. sometimes those things are, you know, can be viewed as negative, you know, but that is what sets us apart. We all are different. And so this big thread was like, it's not just about changing the shade to just as tinge darker. Like there are different things, important things that go into correctly representing someone in a visual media, yeah. uh, which I thought was a really good thing. And I loved it. I, th- I thought it was amazing. Yeah. And as a black woman who is, been at a lot of predominantly white institutions my whole life and someone who is an artist and I do I draw a lot of self-portraits because I'm there you know I can just I can set up a mirror and draw myself for a few hours and not have to be annoyed <laughs> and, yeah you know bribe people with pizza so when I'm thinking of person thinking of myself I have features that are like afrocentric more than like european centric but I think there's this thing that a lot of white artists don't quite understand and a lot of them do and it's something that has to be learned because we have a society that actively pushes you toward this unconscious assumptions 
of whiteness and of Eurocentrism that if you're mm -hmm. not actively working against it through no direct fault of your own growing up, you weren't exposed to these sorts of ideas. And that now as an adult, we have a responsibility to learn about people who are separate from ourselves because, you know, that's like the social contract. Um, yeah. But this idea that it's not just, it's not that when I look at a painting, I think, oh, I wish this person were slightly darker. You know, it's, I want yeah. people to consider and white artists especially and straight artists and writers to consider that the way they view the world is not the default. That when I am coming in and drawing something that like a character that looks white or that looks black or looks Asian or Hispanic or has these features, you are making a choice. It is not yeah. just what happens. There is no default person. And that when you just draw someone and to be woke or just feel like you're contributing, just, oh, go back in and do some color corrections so they look darker. It mm -hmm. isn't what we necessarily want. We want that visual representation. But yeah. part of that is that process of getting to the point where you recognize non-white people as a valid opposite not just a modifier that you put onto whatever you're doing and think oh i'll throw that yeah. in there for fun yeah that's <laughs> it makes me think of like if there was like a, a clay maker someone who molds clay or something like that and their their default you know clay model is very like you said like eurocentric and stuff like that and they're like i want to change it up a bit so they just very slightly you know tweak features and whatnot till yeah. they get we're like oh that's right that's the thing i'm trying to go for that's what i want my audience to see and and believe that this is what i came up with first or something like that i could talk about this for a long time right it's like we go back and forth and i love it you're a brilliant young person and i've just really loved this <laughs> this really deep conversation <laughs> we gotten into and i feel bad that like i have like other questions about D D and ttrpgs i'm like i feel like it's not right <laughs> no let's do let's do that. all of it because i am a very multifaceted right. person let's go <laughs> all right i love it i love it absolutely okay so this is one for you and your your players or the people who play around you how is fairness best represented or presented at your table? Okay, so I'm gonna approach this from two different directions because I play in a few campaigns, including the podcast, but I also am a DM of a campaign. So uh, I feel like if you play a lot and then switch to DMing, I know, rip to all of my forever DMs out there, you'll get your <laughs> chance. <laughs> like with anything, you see what the people who you DM for do, you see what you like and uh, what you'd wanna change for you and then see how that works with other players. So. I would say when I'm playing, one thing that I consider with fairness is uh, making sure you're not hogging all the scenes, especially in the podcast, because everyone wants to be the center of attention. And there is, I assume, I guess some people mm -hmm. are shy. I didn't really think about that. But other than that, <laughs> <laughs> people like you want to be the center of attention. You want your moment. You want to characterize your character in dialogue mm -hmm. scenes and action scenes. Everyone wants to be the hero. And I think as a player, what comes into mind is being respectful of other players' time. So um, if you're in a, in, in a campaign where maybe you all are off kind of doing your own thing or you have your own scenes, being careful that you're not like the person who's always like, oh, DM, I want to do one more thing. I want to do one other thing where yeah. you're monopolizing a lot of the session. And that if you do that, because sometimes that happens because different players have their own backstories and sometimes it's like, well, I mean, I'm going to go find, I don't know, my evil half 
brother and confront him, mm-hmm. that's going to be a one-on-one conversation. But uh, being mindful that you're respecting other people's times, that when other people are going through serious RP, you are not yeah. constantly cracking jokes or breaking that immersion for them. Good and point. understanding... And this comes back to everything. And that's one thing I like about TTRPGs is that it's communal storytelling. And so it's exclu- it's entirely interpersonal relationships. You have your intercharacter relationships that you're working through when you're trying to put yourself in the mind of another person who makes separate decisions. But it's also mm-hmm. the people at the table and trying to figure out, like, maybe I really like it when people crack a joke during serious parts, but other people don't. Um, yeah. Maybe they really, really like you know, the min-maxing rules lawyer, I'm going to spend 15 minutes doing this one thing for my round and (laughs) it's going to be amazing. And so maybe I don't throw a wrench into that, but also being aware that, hey, not everyone wants to spend six hours doing a battle. And so as a player, I think fairness at the table is being respectful of other people's time and also not being afraid to speak out when people do things that you don't like and that doesn't necessarily mean calling people at the table and it's so different for me now because again so many of my games are just discord only for uh the duration (laughs) of quarantine so i'm like you know sometimes some things are for the main thread some things are for a dm you know yeah Uh, exactly but i think that's where a lot of fairness comes and as a player being fair to your dm some people really like to play the murder hobo route evil party going through and i think that's a perfectly good way to play but i see so many times online on like reddit or other posts where people are complaining about how their players keep killing their npcs and all of these and that like that's a miscommunication like it's one thing to do that but if you have if you're playing with someone who has put hours and hours of work into something it is it's rude to just destroy that for the sake of destroying that if it bothers them now there needs to be a conversation then about gameplay because evidently you both have different expectations and again there's not like a right or wrong way to play a DD but you do need to maintain those friendships and be respectful of one another. So like maybe it's having a conversation with the DM, like, Hey, you know what, if you're going to give me an innkeeper, you know, and you're going to say they're hot, like I'm going, like I'm going to try and seduce them, you know, make them ugly or something like make them awful. (laughs) Yeah. But like, uh, or knowing that about your players, like trying to figure out how they work. And as a DM, I run a far more chaotic campaign than any of the ones I play in because that's fun for me and the players like it. Like, I literally have a thing called a chaos die. And essentially, the players can roll it and make a wish. Not the characters, the players. If it's a 20, their wish comes true. If it's a 1, their wish comes true, but like with a genie twist. So it's awful, which is fun because that gives them a level of like control, you know, over the campaign. But the more they roll it, it gets chaotic. And it's just funny because... We have this understanding, so they only use it for stupid stuff. Like, now every time they finish a dungeon, because they got an at 20 on a chaos dice, there is a conveniently located elevator that plays music, and they can just take oh. the elevator to the end of the dungeon once they, or back to the, you know, to the surface once they kill the boss. It's like having those fun things and knowing your players, uh, which is mm-hmm. a bit easier if you are already friends with the people, but people go into new campaigns. So it's like, yeah. this is why I think session zero is so important, where you, it's so boring, but I'm like, you have to go over ground rules about like, are people comfortable with flirting in your campaign? And mm-hmm. like, how intense does that go? And like, when do you do the the cut to black thing? Or what yeah. topics are people comfortable with? 
Um, mm-hmm. And as I DM, I also am trying to make sure everyone feels like they're playing, they're the main character. So sometimes players make choices that give them an emphasis. Uh, in one of my campaigns, one of the players kind of sold his soul to the big bad (laughs) in game so it's like okay so obviously there's going to be that level of tension there and they're getting attention from this god that the other players don't have so what can i do in gameplay to make sure it doesn't feel like this one character and player is getting to Mm -hmm. be in control and all of these things and everyone else just kind of feels cast to the side yeah again it's about interpersonal relationships it's about making people feel valued and checking in especially in between games like hey what do you think about your character and a lot of them a lot of it's trust too because like they give me their backstories and things and they kind of they trust me that i'm not gonna like screw them over fairness comes down to communication and i think as a dm it is your responsibility to provide a world where characters can work through whatever they want to work through um Mm -hmm. there's definitely some ground rules like you know, if we're playing Curse of Strahd, there is a general understanding that the players should probably be working toward like the conclusion, right? They're not going to be like, yeah. "Well, let's open a let's open a brewery and try and compete," you know? <laughs> but absolutely, it, yeah, it's just like being upfront with people and making sure people are having fun. Like that yeah. is the core of playing games. If you are not having fun, and having fun can still be having bad things happen to your characters. It can still be sad at times. It can still be frustrating. But the mm-hmm. overall plot of emotion should be good. Like yeah. when my character died in one of my, <laughs> I had this one campaign where my character has perma died once, and I've k- died four times, and <laughs> no one else in that campaign has died <laughs> at all. <laughs> Uh, since the second session and we've been playing wow. for like several years i just i i make very bold decisions and they they really pay off but when they don't pay off they kill me um, <laughs> but the thing about all of those deaths is they felt earned like i yeah. i went in with a risk i wasn't mad at my dm because there was like this understanding of you're going into a boss fight you might die and yeah. being on the same page and having that um and the rest of the campaign being, you know, fun and rewarding and feeling like I'm mm-hmm. not, like you're not playing against a DM and depending yeah. on the campaign, you're not playing against the other characters and you're certainly not playing against the actual players. Yeah. That leads me into another question. But before I do that, I love all the points you're making here, especially like, I think it all really ties into what you said about a session zero, because those are, they may be boring, but they're, critical in like you said in getting to know what everyone wants out of this game you're playing especially like you said like if you're in curse of strahd like i myself am going to be starting up my first ever non-homebrew campaign uh descent into avernus yeah i've i have never done a a published campaign book i've always done things homebrew because it's just easier for me I, I have I can plan better. I can just I uh, can uh, improvise easier. Big on improv. This, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've never done improv, but I feel like it'd be a class worth taking at least. But yeah, I am I'm a bit nervous because you know it. I want players to play this what I feel like is a very interesting campaign, and knowing at least one of my players who like like knowing knowing this person in real right. life, I know what they kind of like to play as and so having that like session zero and being like hey guys this is the goal let's try to stick to that and also because descent into avernus deals with 
some gruesome stuff. You're going literally into hell and letting everyone know at the table, like, this is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect and engaging, you know, what can be done. But also, like, I had an experience with my current group right now that I run every Monday. And when I first met them, I'd never met anyone before. It was all from finding them online, locally and stuff like that. We had a session zero and I made it clear stuff like, you know, hey, let's not talk about politics, religion, those kind of things. Because oftentimes, as we all know, those can lead to heated discussions and potentially arguments at the table. No one likes that. Well, I really didn't go into too much about really respecting each other's times, which we've gotten, they've gotten really good at. But there was a... There's a learning curve too. There is a learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them had never played before. Well, there was was one player who's no longer at the table and he did what you were uh, talking about where he was monopolizing the time. And every time I'd try to switch to a new PC, he'd be like, oh, no, no, one one more thing. And we'd get done with that one more thing. Well, he'd be like, I I just want to do one more thing. And I eventually had to just be like, look, I I will get to you later. There's other people here at this table. And I think that's a fair thing to say, even though I was very uncomfortable with that because I'm a yes man. I'm, mm-hmm, I love to please people. Yeah, I yeah. love to please people. And so it was hard for me, but it was rewarding to say like, look, no, we're going to do something else. Like there's people, other people are playing this game. It's not just you. I love though just a little tidbit of of you talking about that earned death thing. Like it is it is a cool little thing where it's like, yeah, I, I died, but you know, it it there was a purpose to it. It wasn't just, you know, randomized or you weren't being maybe you weren't being so like silly or oh, I'm just gonna do something fun and then you're squashed or something. Like yeah. That. <laughs> it's so. not a key fish moment. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Perfect. Um, but but the question I, I wanted to lead into this one was going with that earned death thing. I've had a few conversations with some people about D&D is really, it's very light on its players. It really allows you to be a superhero who does not die a lot of times. Now, and I'd love to know more about your character who has died so many, this, these these characters or character who has died so many times. The main question of this is, how do you think that we can better incorporate challenging gameplay that presents a real danger and, you know, like the threat of death while still being a fair game and not pulling too many strings behind the screen? So I will say I have only played fifth edition of D&D, but Mm. in my, you know, my studies, um, I think (laughs) I know that previous versions of D&D were very much more like your player wasn't necessarily disposable, but the risk of death was a lot higher. Um, If you played anything like Stars Without Number is uh, like a sci-fi RPG, kind of Star Wars-ish. And it's very like your players will probably, your characters will die several times. It's like if you get hit (laughs) by a laser rifle, you're probably dead because you just got hit by a laser rifle. It's not like, yeah, the bad guy just took an axe to my throat. But, you know, it's a Tuesday, Mm -hmm. so I'll walk it off and give me an hour, (laughs) I'll be fine. 
So the hard part is part of me wants to say, I think it's about balancing encounters. But like, let's be honest, I I don't know what I'm doing when I have an encounter. Oh, God. Uh, you, both. <laughs> you know, I just every now and then I just open the monster manual or Xanathar's guide. I see something in- interesting. Again, this is com- this comes from the improv homebrew side of me that <laughs> yeah. just is like, ah, because uh, the party that I DM for has never played D&D before. So I'm like, I'm the one who gets to throw stuff at them for the first time. Which is so much power. Oh, my God. Oh God and they yeah. can't even meta. They can't even meta. That's what uh, I'm looking forward to. I'm so looking forward to that. It's so great. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you just see this weird eye creature. It has a bunch of eye stalks. I wonder what that is. And they're you just got like, this what random the deck. fuck are you talking about? Eye stalks? Yeah. Big eye? What? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's the guy on the cover of the book. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but I think it comes, well, again, from what you expect from your players and what your players expect from you for the campaign. But I feel like after you play one or a few campaigns where you are the big bad, not the big bad, hopefully, where you are <laughs> like the heroes uh, yeah. going up to level 20, basically gods, you know, there was a dragon that was evil. We killed it. There was something else that was evil. We killed it. And that's how you win. And that's, I think, D&D at face value. I think that it becomes more on the DM to try and figure out these sort of ingenious solutions. I was blessed with an amazing DM uh, for my first campaign and (laughs) still play with that group a lot where uh, you have to make the stakes less than just brute force because the mechanics of the game will favor brute force every time, which is why I'm like either you, you know, play a different RPG, not always, but just like if you're looking for something different or reconsider, you you have to homebrew some stuff. Slower leveling is one thing that can annoy people, especially people who are super experienced at D&D. So they know like what's waiting at like level 14 or level eight, like with those bumps that they expect if you're making a character who you have an idealized build for. But mm-hmm. um, slowing down the pace of the game is one way to sort of draw that out and, you know, keep... I really love that sweet spot, like, between levels, like, 5 and, like, 11, where mm. you have enough power that it's not like a zombie's going to look at you and you die, um, and you have a decent amount of spells, <laughs> but you're not quite invincible, yeah, I think that's fun to kind of DM for because you can start throwing more interesting monsters and things at them. But mm-hmm. also making other ways for leveling. If you don't want your party to just be brute forcing through the way all the way up, like just, you know, raising a countryside and hitting up, you know, for XP milestone leveling, I think is a way to kind of achieve that. But also considering what you value is a milestone defeating a boss or is it political intrigue? In the campaign Mm. that I'm running, I put a lot more gray areas. So it's like, you know that people are making bad decisions, but you don't have someone who is objectively evil with no redeeming qualities. Yeah, And that makes it more on the role play and putting more emphasis on that because you can't just fireball your way out of a scenario. And I think in order to keep that happening, like, honestly, the only way to keep it from becoming super buffed too early is is slowing the rate at which they become buffed or conducting the campaign in such a way that just having more material goods, more magic items doesn't always help. Mm -hmm. I think the only issue is that in uh, one of my campaigns, the one where the girls 
my characters keep dying. I have a bard. <laughs> she's like level 14. She has an iron stone of mastery and a stone of good luck and plus five charisma. So her, Dang. uh, yeah. So like her persuasion and deception, which she has expertise in are plus 18. Oh my freaking so, God. <laughs> right. Jeez. So like if I roll, if I roll a one, that's still technically a 19. Um, because if we're God. putting on the rule lawyer, rules lawyer hats, you don't have crit fails and crit successes for skill checks but i think a lot of people play that way so even if i rolled a yeah. two that's like a 20 um Jeez. which means that like my dm is like okay i'm going like there there are more difficult things he's like i'm not gonna have you necessarily roll persuasion and deception for most things because there's no point i basically just have like my son- tongue is just dripping silver like you will believe anything you have to yeah. work around that and i think that also comes to like party composition if you have a primarily melee party um and you're going to have to give them bosses to fight, put them in situations that sort of cut their advantages. For the group I DM for, they had like a dinner party and I was like, I'm going to put them against their boss. But because, because again, I, I want, I just gave them so many like magical items and cool weapons and things. And I'm like, this is going to be so easy for them to win. So I was like, okay, you're going to this dinner party. Like you can't have your armor on, like you can't just have a sword. So having them go against them without all of their magic items and it was a more dangerous encounter and scaling the encounter for that. So I think it it puts a lot of effort on the DM to try and find more creative ways because as you're progressing through the mechanics of the game, they will become, you know, demigods by the time they finish. And if that's something that you don't want and you still want to play D&D because it's a game system people are familiar with, there's name recognition, it is pretty easy to catch on even if you've just like heard a podcast or something about it. Then you have to be more creative in the sorts of things you throw at them. If they're very good at mechanically dealing damage and taking damage, then you need to figure out fun little zesty ways of making them worse at that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's kind of like the classic, you know, like, oh, you have the, let's say, like, the fighter who his AC is 21 and his strength is plus five, yada, yada, yada. Well, it's like, well, okay, DM, you basically can't ever hit me. It's like, well, okay, roll a wisdom check. And the fighter's wisdom is like a plus one or even like a plus oh, yeah. zero. It's like, okay, I'm in trouble now. Uh, yep. Yeah, definitely doing a lot of those. I, I love a lot of those. I've been writing a lot of these down just for me as well because <laughs> I feel like I can always learn. But yeah, I think balancing encounters is one that I've always found to be hard because I've read about this and I've had discussions about this where maybe you don't want to necessarily balance encounters, but but uh, gauge them to be, you know, like this one is is deadly. This one is easy. Yeah. Probably more in terms of whatever story you're trying to tell even too, you know, whereas like in what you said, like this uh, this dinner party thing, Story-wise, you know, maybe it was necessary to have a an easy or deadly encounter, and you can kind of gauge it on that, though. But getting the expectations of everyone at the at the table, you know, of players and like, okay, I I know my DM, I know what he's gonna the kind of encounters he's gonna throw at us, which is yeah. diminished if you are a new player or if you're a DM who can continuously pull out improvised encounters or homebrew stuff and stuff like that, which will leave absolutely will leave players guessing and be like okay what the hell is my dm doing right now yeah Um, yeah and and one thing that i have have tried to do and and sort of failed just because the the campaign uh was put on hold was like realism realism is something that i think that 
D&D doesn't necessarily want you to do, but obviously it has those options for you to include that into your games. Right. Whereas, you know, gauging how much, you know, food the players are eating, stuff like weight, and anything under the sun, you know, that you can think of as to doing with realism. That can be equally as deadly because sometimes it's not always a monster that gets you. Sometimes it's, you know, starvation or madness or or something else more abstract i know you're being serious but my brain just immediately went like you drank contaminated water in the dungeon you now have dysentery (laughs) no (laughs) seriously yeah and the way i kind of run it is having realism where it matters and not where it doesn't i assume all of my player all the characters are going to the bathroom when they need to go to the bathroom so you know you don't worry about it but like when they're lower levels and a gold means something having them track lifestyle expenses makes more sense than when they're like level 14 and you know they got stacks on stacks and it's like okay (laughs) writing out writing out that you spent four gold for this like week in the tavern is not as important yeah it's it's about making things, I think it's about being critical where you apply realism to make it feel more immersive. Like, yeah. and that's also how my players, like they started out kind of being like murder hobos because it was one of those situations where we were having a one shot that turned into like, okay, this one shot's going to take like three or four sessions. And now it's a year and a half later and uh, we're still playing. Oh, yep. Yep. Um, yep. Where they were going to kill this like stable boy because they wanted horses. Because I mentioned there was a capital city and they're like, we need to go to the capital. And me, who just mentioned that, had like, I was like, that's the complete opposite direction (laughs) that you need to go. I was like, oh, he won't sell these to you. And they were like, okay, well, can we just rent them? And I was like, nope, he won't rent them. And then they're talking about how they can kill this like 15 year old boy and steal his horses and go off. And I'm like, out of character. I was like, okay, guys, here's the thing. You guys can totally kill the stable boy. I will let you make whatever decisions you want to make, but there are consequences mm-hmm. for actions. And yes. if you murder a 15-year-old child, like people will probably figure it out and they will probably come after you. Like and again, because yeah. none of them had played DD, none of them had that idea of like, oh yeah, we're playing in a world where she is going to make things like our decisions matter. Yeah. And uh Permanence. I think permanent yeah the object permanence that it's like yeah if you go through this town and you know fuck everything up they're like the next time you try and come here they're not gonna like just let you come in you might be able to kill them but if you just go around murdering people they're just gonna treat you like they treat a murderer i'm just very big on using consequences for actions rather than telling Mm -hmm. players they can't outright not do something because it's like i don't want you to feel like i am running your character and i'm characterizing what they do but like, True. I am going to be very upfront. Like, this is how the world works. So mm-hmm. keep that in yeah. mind. Yeah, that kind of goes into talking about realism, you know. But that's like a varying degree of realism, I think. Because yeah. sure, you can you can definitely run your games where like, okay, if you kill the stable boy, like what you did, like it could have consequences. Or you like, you kill a stable boy, and you know, it's all well and good, you know, as as good as it can be, I guess. Right. Uh, and. And you and your players just go on your adventure and nothing comes of it. Maybe because it's it's not the way that the DM wants to run their games. Oh, yeah. Or maybe some people maybe just forget that happened or something. Or uh, just too much effort. Too much, yeah. too much effort, yeah. Because, again, like how I was talking about running a published campaign, there is a end goal that needs pretty much is, is a necessity to be completed. In a homebrew game... And, you know, with this stable boy, like, 
yeah, maybe your characters have a lot of freedom in what they want to do in this adventure, the goals they have to accomplish. Sure, there may be plenty of time for you to role play out guards coming after the characters or a whole village descending onto these PCs and and so on and so forth. But I feel like if my, my characters in this upcoming game were to say, do something as drastic as that, I would definitely let them know that like, yes, there are consequences, but weave that into how it relates to the story. And, and I think that's important in, in is to weaving that realism into whatever story you're trying to tell, adventure you're trying to run and stuff like that, though. But yeah, like just allowing your players to know. And again, going back to having a session zero and telling people, especially new players, uh, which I'm going to have to be doing and saying, look, this is a, a game where you can pretty much do anything you want. It's only limited to your imagination. But in that, you know, whatever your imagination comes up with, it's there is a cause and effect. There are consequences to actions. And sometimes those actions could get you killed. You never know. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that people need to be aware of, though. And it's it's and it's I think it's only fair going back to fairness. It's only fair that players know that and for a DM to dole that out if necessary. Yeah, it's like not every butterfly wing has to lead to a hurricane, you know? Yes. But yes. if you are throwing a hurricane at your players, they should be able to track that back to a decision that feels right, even if because it's a game we're all making up. You know, it's not like you necessarily have to have every specific, you know, cause and effect. But Mm -hmm. uh, if it just doesn't feel right with the story and people don't feel like they deserve the consequences, if you stole, if it's like Skyrim, you know, where you steal something and then the entire town is chasing after you. It's like you kill a chicken. You kill a chicken and they're like, okay, so you're dead now. We know you just got rid of that dragon for us, but like, I would like to murder you. Yeah, Um, like you're still an asshole, even though you're a hero. You're still an asshole for for killing that old lady. Yeah, so it's like, and and the thing is, since it's not a video game, since it's not an AI making the decision and you're a person, you have the opportunity to make things that feel more appropriate, that have better gameplay, that are more fair for your players than just throwing stuff out of them. Yeah, more realistic than just throwing stuff out of the blue and being like, haha, you're dead now. Like, not like, you know, blowing my own TikTok, but I like post a (laughs) question. The only reason is it it has over like 300,000 views at this point, which is insane. It's just me talking about my campaign, about how one of the players sold their soul. And so I was like looking for what people think I should do just you know always looking for more inspiration and so many people were like okay like TPK and so he was like oh take over that character and he's an NPC and it's like Hmm. okay which are fair options and they're not wrong options depending on your game but it's like TPK isn't fair to all of the other people who did not sell their soul to a big bad and who have these characters that they are super emotionally invested in just killing them for that purpose off the bat to me and I mean in another campaign other characters other players might feel differently and then like taking over as an npc i was like that's also super valid like sometimes players make decisions where it's like you cannot continue on the plot line you got to go off and you make a new character and sometimes those are active decisions by a player who gets tired sometimes it's just like it depends on how committed you are to your characterization but it's about like how can we make this work so that the players are still having fun and we're still keeping it like you know, we're keeping it realistic. Like there are consequences to these actions, but I'm not screwing over everyone because someone made a bad decision. 
Yeah, honestly, that's that's a perfect segue into another question where do you feel that DMs can always be fair and impartial in these sorts of, of, of situations? Because, you know, you are the the arbitrator, you are the <laughs> the creator, the maker, you know, you're the end all be all say in what goes on. And do you feel like uh, even you as a DM, do you feel like you can always be fair and impartial on these sorts of, of subjects? I mean, the short answer is no, but I think it's about trying to be fair and impartial. I think there are certain situations where you can't necessarily equate it to like pure fairness. Like in that situation that that character is getting a boon from this goddess, I'm letting them take a level in Paladin before other people get to level up. Uh, So is that, yeah, but I have plans for the future to kind of keep it up. So they're not like scoring super far ahead and other, I'm working on trying to create other in-game opportunities for these other characters to advance at the same, um, a little bit later, but it's like, is that a fair, yeah, thanks. Um, (laughs) Is, I thought of it myself. Uh, (laughs) It's like, is that a fair solution? Um, It depends on how the players feel and how I feel. I You also, as a DM, have an understanding, even if you're like me, where you're only operating a few steps ahead because you're homebrewing. But if you're working with a model even more so, a module, sorry, you even more so have this idea of what the plot is supposed to be or what it's leading to. Yeah. Um, you have, you, you are the god of this universe and you have that bird's eye view. So you can do things that seem unfair at the moment that makes sense. But I don't think there's any impartiality. Because also, like, imagine if you're DMing a campaign and this character also has an amnesia backstory and the player Ooh. was like, just figure out what I did. So I have that and I have them selling their soul and I have all of these things in my hands. And it's like, okay, what's the fair outcome? There are so many different ways that you can drive this story. Mm. And I think the fairest outcome is something that doesn't make one character far more OP than the rest, keeps everyone Mm -hmm. about the same, even if they pull ahead for a little bit, and something that that player would have fun engaging with and role-playing with, which is why, like, I have certain things that I operate by that I think are fair. Like, if you have a character in your backstory, if they are alive i don't kill them off without (laughs) like you knowing you know you're not going to tell me i have a fiance who's waiting for me or i have you know parents or i have a child like i'm not gonna be like oh they're dead now i mean they might die in the campaign but like not uh, like not changing character backstories uh for players um making sure your decisions it's like i think it's a lot about effort outcomes Mm -hmm. and actions matter but I think the way that those are driven are, are you trying to make this a rewarding game for the people participating in it? And I don't believe that the DM's word, I don't think that they're always infallible. I think I've sometimes made decisions that probably weren't super fair in the moment. And I try to retcon that when you can tell players are upset by something, kind of working that in to make sure that they don't feel like they're being excluded or that you're playing favorites or that because one person gave me a backstory that's super fun to mess around with that I'm not actively screwing over the rest of the party. So there's no chance of them like quote, quote, winning the campaign. So yeah, I don't think GMs can always be perfectly fair because like there's obvious 
situations of unfairness. Like if we are in battle and you're only attacking one player's character because you think they're like kind of annoying or because mm-hmm. they're a paladin and it's ruining your balance and you don't know how to <laughs> balance uh, <laughs> encounters with them. <laughs> I'm not speaking from experience or anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> no, but like those sorts of things are blatant unfairness if people have backstories. And this is one thing I'm struggling with now is there are some things that are super easy to c- incorporate in a campaign and others that are more difficult and trying to make sure that you're giving everyone attention so it's not like oh well because i didn't give you something that was super angsty that you could just like twist a knife in i don't feel like i'm having a fulfilling game so i think it's about trying and (laughs) believe it or not it all comes back to communication (laughs) Uh, it really does well that's it's absolutely important in pretty much everything we do i recently and and again for listeners listening in October, this is back in like July. <laughs> I um, wonder what's going to happen in these next two months that will invalidate oh everything God. we've said. Oh, I, I hope Can things you- do change <laughs> to where like this discussion was un like so I want to say unnecessary, but it's not unnecessary and it will never be unnecessary. But I hope that things change enough and then in two years come October or two years, two months come October that, you know, the, the, the state of the world and the climate that we are living in, you know, political climate and whatnot, has changed to where, where, you know, this, this isn't as such a heated topic though. But, if only. but no. If, if only, yeah. But to take it away from something incredibly important and talk about games, which again, I feel totally bad about. I had recently did something in my own home games to where not every character had presented me with a backstory. And, you know, I don't, I don't say I necessarily need backstories for all my characters. I welcome them. They're great. You know, that you can have a lot of fun with them getting deeper into the character. But I had a session where I just wrote down a bunch of different things like in bullet point of like, here's what I want to happen for each of these characters. And surprisingly enough, I was able to pull it off of like each character had something dealing either with a backstory or something like an important, I wouldn't say a change, but an, an advancement of their character's story, we'll yeah. say, that I actually did find to be like our most enjoyable session I've ever had. Not that I haven't, you know, fully enjoyed our previous sessions, but this right. one just was it was fulfilling because I felt like, you know, we were having fun. We were there was laughs everywhere. There was like moments of like oh, what? And and just like the fulfillment that I got of knowing that they were enjoying it and and that gave me a lot of of love and and you know like i said fulfillment and whatnot though but i was trying not to single anyone out you know and and i think you can really in those moments even if like i said even if your characters don't give you a backstory or even if you haven't had discussions about in-depth discussions about your character or you know your players characters i feel like your dm or you as a dm can really get a gauge of what that character once a lot of times through you know role playing through combat even and and even giving them something that might feel small but they can really make a change in their you know real life viewpoint of this game and and how fair that they are being treated you know in relation to others maybe saying like oh you know this person got this this person got that whereas like what do i get and then dm's like boom here you go champ I got you something cool yeah. because you know, you as a DM you're, you want to 
it's like you're they're like your children almost so you want to show your love to all your children equally and and to not do that is very unfair but i feel like players should also realize that sometimes it's not an immediate giving of fairness from the dm sometimes it might take two sessions whenever hey man last week like johnny and kyle got this and that i didn't get anything it's like no don't worry like yours is coming i've I've got you in mind but we just didn't get to at that point and so i think that's something that players really need to if they're feeling left feeling left out maybe wait you know and something good might happen but also you know just talk to your dm i think it's fair to say you know, like hey amelia i'm i'm feeling left out and how can we fix that and you know you as a dm and you as a person just getting to talk to you i know that like you'd want to rectify that because that's important yeah and i'm thinking about the campaign that i dm because you know it's the one that i dm where i'm like making those decisions behind the scenes and how like we had this character who had someone uh who they thought was dead they weren't sure if they died or not it was like her like girlfriend um they were escaping from an evil woman and in the campaign basically it turned out the evil woman was like a necromancer and so like the love of her life was like Ooh. alive but only kind of and oh. so they this is at the dinner party so much stuff going on oh my god uh, <laughs> right <laughs> so anyways it ended up with this battle and they killed the necromancer and as soon as they killed her the love interest started dying but they had this scene where you know they were sitting looking they were able to like to get her toward a window and she was looking at the sky and they were reminiscing about you know it'd been like five years since they last seen each other and she was just happy that she finally got to pass on you know and they got the, to say the i love you's and the goodbyes that they didn't get beforehand and just this beautiful moment and like all of us were crying as we did this and i I'm was like, like tearing how? up right now <laughs> like, and i was so like sweet. how was, it was oh my god it was so sweet like this oh god I, I can't even think about it i'm gonna get too sad like the things but I, and i was at the time i was like how am i making myself sad right now like i'm literally just choosing to do this <laughs> i played like the river flows in you which is this beautiful piano song from like twilight oh just for ambiance oh. yeah um anyway but moments like that it's obviously very much about you and this one character and the spotlight wasn't on everyone else but they still got something out of that like that was a beautiful scene to watch and witness and like i have this npc who like this one character is flirting with and everyone in the party like super ships it and so i'm like (laughs) i know i can do a lot like a little bit more drawn out stuff between this npc and this one character because even if it's a solo scene everyone else is still super invested that they like Uh, don't care because you know they have that and it's like okay now that i have that for this character and you know she got this it's it's kind of like a sort of a popcorn thing of like okay we had this story arc that was super focused on her and we have this attention that's super focused on this other character and as we're doing those story arcs weaving in tiny little like just little ends of other people's stories. That way we can lead into another character's arc as we're moving through the campaign and go from there into another character's arc. So that Mm -hmm. way, even though you know, like, this isn't about me, I know the DM hasn't forgotten about me and I know that I will get my chance to move forward with that. Absolutely. That's something that, you know, obviously ties into what we were just talking about fully and just being like, okay, everyone, everyone will get their, their due time, their turns and stuff like that. You know, and it goes along too, not just with the player to the DM, but player to player. It And it's really about, you know, being fair to your fellow players. Whereas if that player that had that really touching moment 
with with this girlfriend of theirs you know the other plays around that should definitely be fair to them and respectful in letting them have those moments and then expecting that same treatment uh in return because that's you know we all want to have these moments these special times whether that's in role play whether that's in combat but whatever it is is something that player to player player to dm whatever is absolutely important and just to just to go back a little bit to something we were saying way long ago that Mm -hmm. moment of just utter like a sweet sorrow in in that moment you were describing that's that free therapy right there (laughs) that's That's that that was the catharsis yeah Yeah, we were all like oh i needed that like i didn't know i needed to cry but i did there's nothing better than just like having a good cry and be like okay yeah I, i needed that so yeah and that's the thing with like knowing your players and kind of seeing and like i think as a dm and as a player when you're doing role play it's like kind of testing the water like you can't just jump into that but saying Mm -hmm. like is this something if i'm if i'm giving this out are they reflecting that back to me is that a scene that we're going to draw because that was just an improv thing Mm -hmm. so it's like if if it was something that they weren't super responsive to she was just like yep she's dead again like oh well (laughs) you know i wouldn't have needed to emphasize that but and it, yeah. once you're playing, if you can pay attention to people's reactions, you can see where those avenues are that people really want to explore their character more at that moment. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. where they might not quite be comfortable. Like I think anyone, especially new players, like when you're starting out, you know, I always joke about like, oh, I'm going to flirt with the DM because I just like flirting with my friends. It's like, that's not something <laughs> that I did with like a person that I don't know or like a person yeah. that I barely knew. But like once you get comfortable with people, it's about like you can kind of explore more in-depth role play and like yeah. more fulfilling character things and get in touch with more emotions. And you don't have to mm-hmm. expect that on session one. But like not being afraid of that, not being afraid of like pressing a little bit and kind of carving out a little more depth of emotional fulfillment in your Dungeons and Dragons. I was I was about to just comment on that. Like it's important to me to, you know, have that comfortability at the table of like, hey, you're not comfortable with this. That's fun. Whether that's having touching moments or whether it's engaging in other topics that might be something horrific or whatever have you but it is very very crucial to me to let players know that hey it's okay if you're uncomfortable with this right now i hope that in the future you will grow to to love these kind of things because i think D is only enhanced by those moments of vulnerability yeah. and and like we've we've said now that it is very therapeutic and very cathartic to have these moments that you can and and I feel like I say this like in every episode but it is something that's very important in and getting those moments that can really help you deal with things that you may be going through in the real world whatever that might be you know and and I think you know people play games to kind of unwind and get away from the woes of the world and escape and yeah. D&D allows you to escape but if if you are open to this and if you are willing to experience this with the help of your your friends at the table your dm you can really sort through them you can really sort through some stuff and and get you know be be enhanced by those and maybe come out as a better person you never know yeah and i think if we're if we wanted to bring this like back to sort of fairness and it's kind of about 
like respect. And it's about different campaigns yeah. too, because not every Dungeons and Dragons campaign and every moment in D and D can be like this emotionally charged. I'd like to say that as yeah. soon, right immediately after that scene, literally played yakety sax as these people were trying to destroy <laughs> oh this God. evil like gem. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, and I'm like literally had it on my phone. Switch from the river flows in you to yakety sax and this back and forth. Wow. I have the range. <laughs> That's a but, duality. Uh, yeah that's amazing but, uh, and talking about fairness it's like letting people explore these sorts of emotional depths and giving people these opportunities for levity for sincerity to kind of deal with things and it's like because you don't it's not always a one-to-one thing it's like what you were saying like sometimes you just need to cry like you're not crying yeah. about anything particular but especially when the world is so disappointing and we're in a world where you can't really just it's so hard to be the hero you know yeah, i don't get yeah. to just cast fireball and then level up and get to cast other things um no. you don't get to just like all of the bad guys in the real world are not things that you can just destroy and get rid of but as much as we want to as much as we want to unfortunately it's probably for the best that you can't just let some random murder hobos who are like hey so i had a god who let me smite people so i'm just gonna do that now <laughs> Glory to Tiamat. (laughs) It's about creating those spaces where people have the freedom to explore these things as a player and a DM. It's about facilitating those conversations. And when we're talking about like that, it's about people being comfortable, people feeling safe. Um, It provides a sandbox for Mm -hmm. you to work through these things that you might not in real life and for you to rectify the wrongs and imagine better worlds and better futures, not concrete societies or systems, but just these little glimpses of humanity and of sincerity that just kind of like remind us that we are grounded, that we are connected and that there are beautiful things that exist everywhere. Yeah. And it's only fair that we as people, as you know, like one race of beings that we allow others to experience that without, you know, judgment or without being like, oh, that's silly. I would never do that because you can just see so many or hear so many stories about like whether they be like, oh, just a, like a jock in school. It's like, oh, he's like the football guy. I think d and for nerds. And like they try and like, wow, this is amazing. Their life has changed, even though they might not think it's so changed, but like their their perception on things about the, not just this game, but the people associated with with this thing and the community around it and the people around it is yeah. is expanded and changed for the better, I feel like. And I've dealt with things in, not just in D&D, but like I talked about this in uh, my last interview where I used to, I used to LARP a lot as a, as a young kid. So fun. I miss it every day, but there would be times whenever we'd be playing out in the park that you'd have some, some jerk off riding around in his car, just shouting obscenities. Like you're all a bunch of, you know, like fucking losers, all this bull crap. Yeah. It's like, dude, you don't even know us. You don't know really what we're doing. The enjoyment that we're getting out of this, like, just the learning experiences that I had in LARPing of, of the people I did it with and around, it blew my mind the kind of things I had learned and that to this day I, I keep with me. And I can only say to people who are, you know, judgmental like that is like, try it, you know, like be, have an open mind. And I know that's 
not to put anyone down, but like sometimes that's hard for a lot of people because of either the yeah. way they were raised or the the viewpoints that they are that they hold within themselves or just their community, their peers around them that feeling like, oh, I have to fit into these people and therefore I have to have these thoughts. And that's not healthy for anyone. But giving everyone an equal fair judgment without prejudice and uh, discrimination is I want everyone to accomplish. And I think that, you know, most well-thinking people want that for others. And again, it's not just D&D. It's not just games or LARPing. It's just every moment of your day-to-day life. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> no, I agree. I'm I'm thinking about how there's so much overlap between like the TTRPG community, you know, D&D specifically, but um, in mm-hmm. like LARPing and cosplay and yeah. obviously art. And there's this idea of doing things that genuinely bring you joy. And mm-hmm. I think LARPing and cosplay, especially while art is still there, it's like it's such a physical act of like, you know, dressing up like a character um and doing that that you you're wearing your heart on your sleeves you know like you can be an art and like you know draw your ship art or whatever and just post it anonymously on tumblr or wherever you or deviantart or whatever people use (laughs) but like cosplay and larping and especially larping because you are going out in a public place it's very much saying i know people might think this is weird and odd but i'm having fun and i'm going to do it because life is dark and sad and this brings me joy and allowing yourself that vulnerability and honesty with your sense of self i think is impressive and Mm -hmm. and people get so defensive about it because what it means is if i personally could be doing that this whole time like if you're doing that and being happy I feel like I'm missing out on something. And so I'm going to take that on you because people just shouldn't be able to do that. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's a lot of people being negative outwardly to others is always a personal issue for them. Yeah, It's not about what you're doing. And, and that's one thing I do like about 5e making D&D so accessible and so open is that I know like there's, there's like the people who are like, oh, it's too mainstream now, which is fine. It's like, you know what? That's great. <laughs> everyone being mainstream if you want to if you want to feel obscure go find some go and support some indie ttrpg people give them throw them some cash you're not hurting anyone but um is that people get access to this kind of gameplay and i feel like collaborative storytelling is just such a uniquely human endeavor even outside Mm -hmm. of games where we are raised because we are raised on disney and like a media industry of stories being something that we consume. And this gives us a vehicle to actively participate in that creation that is even if we're, I know we're setting aside all of the problems in corporatism that come from purchasing games, but at its value (laughs) is just us making stories with each other. And you don't need D&D for that, but Dungeons and Dragons provides this framework that you can be comfortable like accessing that part of yourself and exploring what that means for you and who are you when you are trying to be with other people or be acting as other people. But 
I always think about like all of my characters and how finding the things, the common threads of your characters can tell you things about yourself, you know, it's, it's so interesting. And when you make a character in one campaign, who's like, you know, a very charismatic spellcaster, and then you make someone who's like a very strong melee person and seeing like, even though I have different characterizations, I know there's things that I always fall back into. And it's like, oh, so I'm like, really, like, I'm just really like that, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I always had back when I first got into, you know, RPGs as just a genre, not just in video games or whatever, I would always want to portray my characters as like this very strength based, big weapon wielding person. Like they would just like sling this huge axe or, you know, bladed weapon over their shoulders with no problem and like just slay enemies with one hit. And that's the, always the kind of character I wanted to portray as because I was not that. I was the exact opposite. I'm a, I'm a scrawny guy. <laughs> I am very weak. I got very little muscle on me. And Rocking so that, that nine was, strength. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe an eight. Who knows? But But yeah, I would always present my characters as this because I think that's not just subconsciously, but ment- like, you know, in the moment mentally of what like I wanted to be. And... It wasn't until I started learning more and more about D&D that, like, you know, you can really embody that. But by this time, I had grown to really accept myself and love myself for the different, you know, the way I am and to where I felt like I didn't want to portray those kind of things anymore. And I think it's it's only fair to say that for me, at least, D&D was one, if not many such stepping stones that I took to get a better, more fair idea of who I am as a person. And like what we've been saying several times now, but yeah, D&D lets you do that, lets you embody that kind of thing and get a more clear representation of maybe who you want to be, what you want to do, the kind of person you want to be, pulling from different sources of inspiration here and there, you know, and stuff like that. That can, again, go into the real world. And and I was thinking of several instances going back a little bit into LARPing where I would dress up. I had this kind of like, for my costumes, what we call garb. I had this, it was like pleated pants, corduroy pants that were huge and hefty, very hot in summers. And this like this very silky, frilly, looked like a pirate shirt. I wore I'm in like love leather with this braces. fit right now. It was cool. Oh Leather braces. I wore like three different belts, like one across my shoulders, one around my waist, yes. the other one like around my leg or something. And I wore literally like they were female, just like leather uh, up almost up to the knee boots. They looked very piratey, so I thought they were cool. And I would often wear like a bandana. And ah, I like, love it. It was so like I missed that costume because it was so comfortable. And and I just wore it for years. And well, what I'm thinking of is that Halloween would come around in school and they'd let you dress up. I didn't really care for dressing up all that much for as, you know, things from TV or movies. So I would dress up in my LARPing garb. And I know I got weird looks. I know people were just like, what the hell are you supposed to be? I'm like, okay, well, it's kind of hard to explain, but... And I and I go into it, and I'm like, well, okay, like I'd give up. I'm like, okay, I'm just supposed to be a fantasy character, you know? I'm a, I'm a mini. Like, I'm a pirate. I'm a, mini, I'm a pirate, <laughs> yeah. or like I'm I'm a I'm a peasant boy, whatever have you. But thinking about it, even those moments, whenever it was just me wearing this costume, this garb at school, really helped me get comfortable again with you know the things that I loved and the person that I 
knew I was and wanted to come out and say I am, you know, like I am this super nerd. I am this person who, if I could have my choice of things, I would be playing D&D every day. I would be LARPing every day. I would, I would love to just wake up and put on medieval garb just for the day to go to work in. Honest and true, I would love to do that. I think it'd be so cool. You gotta be missing the cloaks. Renaissance Fair, man. Now I know, like <laughs> got I, canceled this year. <laughs> yeah, like I even had a cloak that I bought at one of my LARPing uh, events, uh, like this huge camping event. These these two little ladies had this like a literal like a, a seamstress's tent, and our my brother and I's dad he bought us cloaks one year and they were so cool. Mine was like a silver and this like forest green. And I wore that thing everywhere in, in my house, sometimes the school. And I miss that thing. And I would, I would totally wear that every day if I could, if I still had it. And it's just like, that's the kind of person I want to be. And what D and D and these kind of, you know, LARPing and stuff like that has helped me become and that I'm okay with. And it's and it's going back to how people can judge you. It's not fair for others to see that in me, to put an example, to see that in me and say like, oh, they're just a weirdo. They're just a freak. They are this or that. And, you know, shout obscenities, call me names and all that stuff. It's not fair yeah. because you don't know me as a person. You're just, you're judging me on what you're saying. You're judging a book by its cover. And that's, we all know is not fair. So right. I don't know. It was just a weird tangent. I somehow yeah. found myself on. So I'm no, sorry. I love it. No, you're good. You're good. I love it. <laughs> and that, it also has me just thinking about how it's a shame. Like I wish that like cloaks and headscarves were just more accepted uh, in general because we're just missing out as yeah. a society fashion wise. And that's on us really. That's on that us. Is, I totally agree. In a similar but different vein, this is so dorky to say, and I don't know if I've like ever explicitly said it, like, well, certainly not on a podcast or uh, to a person who I've only heard talk to other people on a podcast, <laughs> but like D&D coming to terms with yourself, like with sexuality, it is, you know, it's a different journey for everyone. But yeah. like, <laughs> for me, it was... Like D and D, I could have a character who was gay and who liked girls before I was ready to like do that for myself in the real yes, life and like yeah. come out to friends and things, which was also just really funny. <laughs> just because like I don't know, it was just like it just provides this little safe space where you can just kind of pretend and then yeah. you know deal with things in a fictional setting and deal with things yourself and have a long suffering DM who will give you pretend girls to flirt with uh which is it's so dumb but it like it helped it was like oh yeah like at least here i can be a little bit more who i think i am than i am outwardly which is also I, i've journey. said this on on other i just want to mention like i've said this on other episodes too like i love that i absolutely love it when i get to hear about someone having those experiences and i just want to say thank you for for sharing that with me yeah, because it is, and the thing is, uh, it's it's so dorky. Like, I'm not going to pretend it's not, like, a, a very nerdy, dorky thing to do. But, like, <laughs> also so much of being a human and being alive on this earth is being awkward and dorky and having little things yeah. that guilty pleasures that you really just should feel less guilty about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was also very funny because I feel like everyone, there's that, like, stereotype between your first D&D &D character and how you roll them and your second D&D &D character. 
Yeah. Where yeah. like my first campaign character was like the sorcerer who's basically a wizard. And <laughs> the only thing is my DM was like, I don't know if D- wizard is a great place for you to start out since you've never played D&D before and it's going to cost a lot of money and all that. So I was like, oh, I'll just do a sorcerer. But like functionally, they were yeah. they were a wizard who accidentally had 15 strength because I had no idea how uh, ability scores work. So I was the strongest person in the part. It was, there's a whole <laughs> oh tangent we can go off that. There's a lot of funny things. Uh, that was the character that I got killed. And then replaced that with a bard who was like an Azamar glamour bard whose whole personality was that she was pretty and she liked girls. And that was her weakness. So anytime I had to fight an <laughs> evil woman, my DM made me roll at disadvantage to be fair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, or deal wow. with that. But it was just like... I don't know. It's like allowing yourself to just be goofy and being like, you know what? No, all of my characters are going to be gay because I'm in charge of them. All of my characters are just going to be, you know, like I always picture like none of my human or human like characters are like white. They're all people of color. They all look like me. And then I draw art and not like exactly like me, but, you know, like doing that and having that space where it's like, I'm just going to create this sort of fantasy in my fantasy world until I'm ready to deal with that in the real life. God, but, uh, I'm, I'm just so like happy that you're sharing that because I think it's just so beautiful. Like it really is. Like we've been saying, we have these avenues to explore ourselves and not just explore a fantasy world, but like this real world, we can use these kind of games to explore uh, us and uh, us in the real world. That is for a lot of people, you know, like you, it is totally beneficial. It is, it is yeah. totally worthwhile to, I think, to play these sorts of games you know, you could play it for fun. You can play it just as seriously as you want, but like you will take something away from this game. It yeah. will change you somehow, I think. And it's just beautiful. And this also comes back to the things that you include in your fantasy world and how they reflect the real world too. And like what you're normalizing. It's like, if you have, like that's the thing with like fantasy racism that always gets me, especially when it's like, like white people making games for other white people and how you handle Mm -hmm. racism. I'm not saying it's never handled well because there are people who do it well, but just doing things as the idea of we have two different people. So prejudice is arising awesome, but uh, to that level of sort of institutionalization when you have homophobia or that in fantasy and what you choose to include in your games, um, when you have misogyny in fantasy and how you play that out in your games, like we don't do that. Like, I mean, there's, there's like prejudice, you know, uh, amongst different people groups and things, but like in the ones where people I've been in DM, it's like, we're not going to have like, you know, obviously some characters, like they might be misogynistic, but we're not going to have like, you know, characters getting raped or assaulted or we're not going to have like, you know, characters being actively homophobic or things. And because it's also like, if you're playing games, especially with people who are younger, like when I started and I was like 18 and I was still, you know, I came from a very conservative background and things. And when you have a space where people feel like they can be safe and they can talk about these things and explore these themes where they don't feel like they're having to deal with the actual real life pressure and consequences of things, then they have a spot where they can open up a little bit more and be a little bit more themselves. And those people who you're playing D&D with, like I have people who I only know from Dungeons and Dragons who I consider friends. Those people become (laughs) actual resources and lifelines in the real life. And so I think 
I mean, I can't necessarily say that people have an obligation, right? I can't tell people mm -hmm. this is how you have to play, but I'm just yeah. saying like, you're really missing out if you aren't using these games as spaces for people to really explore themselves and do things and thoughts, uh, like storylines, characterizations that they don't feel comfortable with yet in real life, because yeah. that's like, it's just, you're, you have the ability to make this so much more than something you do once every week or so. Yeah, definitely. It, it's such a bonding experience, among other things, too. And I myself, too, the people I play with regularly, I mentioned earlier in this interview, I just found them online. I, like, put stuff out on Reddit, on things like D&D Beyond and whatnot, and little by little gathered these people. And, God, I can't imagine not knowing them like they are such amazing people that i consider my friends and it's weird to say but like i hope they do too even though like i i right pretty sure i know they do but you like, can play D, D with someone for years it's like what are we what are what are we i gotta know what are we? i need to know <laughs> yeah and it's and it's just like i i i truly cherish knowing them and and being their friend and and you know other like i truly cherish being their dm like they are fun to play with like they are a bunch of of goofy people who can have a lot of fun but also turn very serious when they need to and things like that though and it's you know that's not that's while that's not unique to D D or and the players in general like to me that's just a thing that I I really find important, I think. So. Yeah, it's just another vector of finding connection with people. Absolutely. Wow, we are at <laughs> almost two hours. That is amazing. Oh my amazing. gosh. <laughs> that is truly amazing. We've been uh, rambling well, for that long? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say rambling. I think it's just having a, a very It was deep a great discussion. conversation, yeah. It really was. Lose track of time. Well, Pat myself my, on the back for that one. Yeah, Air me five too. To you. <laughs> yeah, Air 5. Well, to wrap things up, though, my last question to you right now is why is it important to you that a game like D&D &D is fair? We've touched on this numerous times about this sort of interplay in between people and how this game is based off of communication and its interpersonal relationships and collaborative storytelling and all that. But mm -hmm. the thing is, this game is really what you get out of it. Unlike board games where they're a very discrete session, um, any role-playing game is a give and take. And if games like this aren't fair, if the mechanics don't benefit the players and the DMs equally, if they're not being run in a way that people feel like they're getting a fair chance to explore these characterizations, to do the stories that they want to do, to tell the stories and make the choices that they want to make. You're not getting anything out of it. If you are playing a game where you're constantly feeling like you are underperforming and you're losing, especially for something like Dungeons and Dragons, where it is made to be a long form, continual storytelling, you know, yeah. a one shot here and there might not matter, but it weighs on you emotionally. And I think these games have the potential to be a beautiful escape from the drudgery and negativity of real life. And to do that, they need to provide a better alternative. And yeah. we're also used to hearing this life isn't fair because it isn't because injustice is perpetuated at every scale toward people who don't deserve it. This, 
you know, if we're talking with America specifically, the concept of rugged individualism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps just isn't the world that we live in. And the world that we live in is so unfair that our escape should be something where we can have an underlying logic, where we can have a reason, where we can explore that we are the good guys and that good things happen for good people and that Mm -hmm. wanting to make a difference can be easily translated into making a difference because those are the narratives and the stories that make life a little bit more worth living. Absolutely. It's beautiful. I love it. Just to put a final say in it, yeah, these games can really games like ttrpgs but you know just in game games in general i think can present fairness and equality when in real life the world is so much the opposite and that means a lot to people just being able to be treated as an equal when a vast majority of the population of the world is not to wrap things up though listeners if you haven't already listened to Guild Fellows, please do so. It's a wonderful podcast. You can also go to their website, guildfellows.com, which should redirect to your anchor page, correct? Yeah, guildfellows.com redirects. And then merch gotcha. goes to our merch page. Yeah, yeah. I might nice. not have clarified, but Got I think I'm working merch. on setting Love up it. a new site. Actually, by the time this goes up, we should have a website. So, so I'm working on that now. Now it's August. If this is October, guildfellows.com should be a thing. <laughs> Hopefully, fancy spanking brand spanking new website and i will be putting a bunch of little infos and links in the descriptions for you listeners to go check out but lastly just amelia you are amazing and you are wonderful and i have enjoyed every moment of this conversation of ours oh thank you i have enjoyed it as well this is a great way to spend a sunday afternoon <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Me too, I feel like. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, listeners. I will see you the next time you open the Ironbound Chest. Hey everyone, it's the end of the show, so I figure we could do some shoutouts now for reviews that people love less on places like iTunes or Podchaser or wherever else you can leave a rating and review. This one comes from Captain Kirkle on iTunes who says, Love this podcast. The interviews feel natural and filled with fun conversation. Thank you, Captain Kirkle. I'm glad that you find them fun and that they feel natural. That's kind of what I some of my main tenants that I want to have here. So thank you very much. And listeners, if you would like to leave a rating review, please, please do so. Leaving them on places like iTunes and Podchaser really helps to get the word out of the podcast and to let people know that you really enjoy me doing this. So I just want to say thank you to those who have left reviews and to others who have not. Please consider doing so. Thank you, and I'll see you the next time we add some wealth to the Ironbound Chest.